Today's scripture is from Luke 4, 1 through 13 in the Common English Bible. Jesus returned from the Jordan River full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and afterward Jesus was starving. The devil said to him, Since you are God's son, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus replied, It's written, People won't live only by bread. Next, the devil led him to a high place and showed him in a single instant all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said, I will give you this whole domain and the glory of all these kingdoms. It's been entrusted to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. Therefore, if you will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It's written, You will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil brought him into Jerusalem and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and they will take you in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus answered, It's been said, Don't test the Lord your God. After finishing every temptation, the devil departed from him until the next opportunity. Will you please join me in prayer? Jesus, what a gift it is to just gather together to declare that you are worthy. To remember that in this world full of brokenness and groaning, there is someone who is whole. We come here today, all of us, with our own scars and our own wounds and our own missing pieces. But there is an enoughness in you, a wholeness in you, that is big enough to fill and to heal every wound in the world. So we bring ourselves honestly to you this morning as we are and pray that you would pour into all those raw, broken places. Speak your truth through your word to us this morning so that it would take root and live fully so that we can live fully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know about anybody else, but I have always found this temptation story about Jesus to be one of the strangest stories in the Gospels. I mean, to begin with, there's just the fact that Jesus was tempted, which kind of makes your mind hurt if you think about it for a minute, because isn't temptation something that is supposed to be a problem for, like, bad people? So, so what business does Jesus have being tempted at all? And then there's the actual stuff of the temptations. Um, number one, turning rocks into bread. I don't really see why that is so bad. Um, number two, worshiping Satan. Like, that seems too bad. Could that really have tempted Jesus? And throwing yourself off the roof like some kind of a, a toddler, like that seems like something that would tempt a three-year-old, but not a grown adult. So it leaves me in this kind of perplexed position, like how could this have actually been tempting to Jesus? What, what is this story trying to communicate? And, and Luke suggests it, it's not only that this really was tempting to Jesus, but it, it wasn't even a one-time affair for Jesus to be tempted. Um, I don't know if you noticed the, the last line there, that the devil left him until the next time, right? Like, this isn't a one-time deal. This is something that is going to come back for Jesus. Um, and, and in fact, 
You might be wondering, we've been in the Gospel of Luke for months, why are we back in chapter 4 talking about the temptations? Well, the reason is um, we're coming near to the cross, um, and Jesus' ministry is actually bookended on both sides, the beginning and the end, by temptation stories. The the beginning of his ministry in chapter 4 we just heard today, the end of his ministry, Jesus ends up famously in this garden called Gethsemane, where he's being tempted again by exactly the same things. And this time, it's so hard to resist, Jesus ends up sweating blood over it. So so temptation isn't just this kind of thing that Jesus brushes past once in his life. It's the beginning, it's the end, it's a whole life affair. So my question to you is, what is it that tempts the Son of God so badly to make him sweat? What, what would be so tempting to the Son of God that it would make him sweat? Well, l- let's just walk briefly through the, the three temptations uh, as Luke kind of lays them out at the start of Jesus' ministry. Um, temptation number one, turn these stones into bread. Now, uh, of course, the weird thing about this temptation is that Bread is not a bad thing, right? Everybody needs bread. You need food to survive. Jesus is deeply hungry in in this verse in Matthew chapter 4. So what is the problem with turning stones into bread? Well, in the course of his ministry, Jesus ends up talking to his disciples a lot about their, their need, their concern for things like food, bread, clothing, housing, All of this stuff of ordinary life that keeps most of us really preoccupied and anxious, like how are we going to get these things? How are we going to earn these things? How are we going to keep them? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is having one of these conversations with his disciples, and he he says this, don't don't worry and say, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? The Gentiles long for these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus says to his disciples, you know, there's all this stuff that you guys are worrying about, like your food and your clothes, and God knows you have those needs. God cares about them. He goes on and says, think about even the birds. The birds need to eat, and they don't do anything to earn it, but God provides food for them. God cares more about you than birds, so why are you so anxious? And then he goes on and says this, instead... What I want you to do is desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things, the food, the clothes, the things you need, will be given to you as well. What is Jesus getting at in this teaching? You know, I think this teaching in Matthew 6, it points straight back to the first temptation that faces Jesus. Jesus is concerned that his disciples, their, their anxieties, their desire to have the basic needs of life provided are going to be so occupying. It's going to consume so much of their time and their energy and their attention that they aren't going to have any resources left over to participate in the work that God is doing in the world. Right? The temptation... I think it's no coincidence that this temptation is the first one because this is the temptation that derails almost every human who has ever lived. The the temptation is to become so preoccupied with just the daily needs of life, the the ordinary stuff, to be so anxious about how are we going to make it work and how are we going to make everything meet together that we don't have any resources left to say, God, what are you doing and how can I participate in it? 
So when Jesus resists this temptation, what Jesus is saying is, I believe that God intends more for me, more for my life, than just eating and surviving. That's Jesus' answer to the devil. People don't live on bread alone. God has a bigger intent for my life than just making it through, just making ends meet. Jesus believes, he trusts, that God knows his needs, that God cares for those needs, and precisely because God cares and because God provides, he can be released from that kind of all-consuming anxiety and preoccupation to participate in something bigger that God is doing. Right? Like precisely because all of his attention, all of his anxiety doesn't have to focus here, he can have that energy free to ask, what is God doing and how can I be a part of it? That, that's the first temptation Jesus faces, is simply not to become so preoccupied with that ordinary stuff that he needs and he worries about for that to be the kind of consuming purpose of his entire life. Again, this is where most of us get caught. <laughs> But then we, we get on to the second temptation. Um, the temptation, the devil says, bow down and worship me, and I am going to give you all of the kingdoms of the world. Now, is this a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, Jesus is meant to rule the world in peace and justice, right? That's kind of what this story is about. It's what it's moving toward. So how could it be bad for Jesus to have rule over the world? How could it be bad for him to bring peace and justice? The temptation, just like with the bread, what the devil is offering Jesus is not a bad thing. Um, the, the problem is the means by which the devil suggests it's going to be acquired. He says, worship me and I'll give you all of this stuff that you're meant to have. I'll give you rule over the nations. Um, now, I think what throws us off about this story is that worship is not just singing a bunch of songs to the devil. Like what the devil is envisioning with Jesus is not like, maybe I'll, I'll write some songs about how awesome I am, Jesus, and you'll sing them and then we'll get along. Uh, the word worship um, can actually be translated just as easily service. It, it, it's a word that involves allegiance and loyalty. Who is it that you are bowing to? Who is it that you are giving your allegiance to? What the, the devil is suggesting here is like, Jesus, if you give your allegiance, if you give your service to me, I'll make sure you get the outcome that you know you need and deserve. I'll make sure that all the nations are, uh, are yours to rule. Um, is this a crazy claim? Well, it seems not. Like the, the devil has some kind of control he is exercising over the world, but it, it's a control that is accomplished mainly through violence, coercion, and lying. Like, the, those are his means by which he, he is kind of controlling the affairs of the world. Violence, coercion, and lying. So the offer to Jesus is, hey, Jesus, if you worship me, if you accept my means of violence and coercion and lying, I'll make sure you get the rule of everything, and then you can do what you want. If you were here with us last week when we talked about Jesus and his disciples talking about swords, this is the heart of that conversation, right? God has something big and huge and beautiful to do in the world, making peace and justice, but how is it going to get done? Well, the devil says, here's how it's going to get done. You're going to use my means. You're, you're going to exercise some force. You're going to push people into it. 
And it turns out that this is so tempting to Jesus that this is what Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane at the end of his ministry, he is literally sweating blood trying to resist this temptation because the end looks so good. Like if he would just kind of call in the armies and he'd just get the guys with swords, he could make this world better. He could make peace and justice happen. It's so incredibly tempting. Like Jesus is sitting in that garden on his knees the night before he dies thinking, if I let my disciples fight, we could make this better. We could make it better. But the problem that Jesus understands is that to worship God means to be bound to God's means and not just God's ends. He can't can't be a worshiper of God and bring this new world of peace and justice without using God's means to accomplish it. This second temptation has taken the church down over and over for the last roughly 1,700 years. Right? It's a temptation to think, you know, we can, we can defend the right by force. We can make justice come in if we take control and we kind of press our levers right. Our intent is always good, right? The, the intention, the outcome we want is always good. But what we don't realize is when we do this, we end up playing for the wrong team, worshiping the wrong guy, That's the temptation that Jesus genuinely struggles with. He genuinely struggles to say no to the wrong means to get the right ends. And then there's this third one. Uh, The devil says, throw yourself down from the temple. Uh, God will protect you. What is this about? I don't think this is some kind of joyride like, like Disney. Like, hey Jesus, wouldn't it be fun if you flew for a little bit? The temptation here is a temptation to avoid suffering. Notice what what the devil says to Jesus. He says, like, if you throw yourself down, God will protect you and you won't even scratch your foot, Jesus. God loves you. Don't you know God loves you? If God loves you, you won't even have to scratch your foot. What's really interesting about this temptation is the devil isn't the only person to tell Jesus this. The apostle Peter tells Jesus the exact same thing. Matthew chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and legal experts, and that he had to be killed and on the third day rise. Then Peter took hold of Jesus and scolded him, beginning to correct him, saying, God forbid, Lord, this won't happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You know, Peter, the argument you're making here, it sounds vaguely familiar. I've been around this bend before. You are a stone that could make me stumble because you aren't thinking God's thoughts. You're thinking human thoughts. But what is it that gets Peter called Satan here? He gets called Satan because he's making Satan's argument. Jesus says, I have to suffer. And Peter says, hey, I think we've got a way around this. No, nobody likes to suffer. Everybody would like to opt out if the cost gets high enough. But the thing that Jesus knows and understands is that sometimes following the call of God takes you through the path of suffering love, and that isn't always safe. So sometimes the will of God in a situation looks like a cross and not like being rescued. So Jesus rejects the suggestion that, that 
the purpose of God is to always and everywhere keep him from ever scratching a foot. And instead, Jesus offers himself fully to God, even through the path of suffering and death. And he says to his followers, if you want to be with me, you all are bound to do the same. Take up your cross and follow me too. Jesus rejects the temptation to avoid suffering for the purposes of God. So just to recap briefly here, what do we got? What actually tempts the Son of God? What makes Jesus sweat? The temptation to become so preoccupied with the little needs of ordinary life that you miss the larger purpose entirely. The temptation to use good ends of peace and justice to justify means. And the temptation to avoid suffering with the thought that God could never work this way. I mean, maybe one of those three resonate with you. Or maybe when you think about these temptations, maybe if the devil were to sit you down today, your big three might be entirely different. Right, so just spend a second and ask, like, do any one of those temptations, like, do you feel any pull on it? Or what is it in your life where you are being drawn toward a line you know you shouldn't cross? Where might there be something in you that is kind of resisting the pull of what God is doing? Like, what does temptation look like in your life right now? What could be put on the table that would really make you sweat? But there is a practical question for Jesus, and there's a practical question for us as Jesus' followers about how do we resist these things? How do we choose the thing that like that deepest, truest part of us wants when there's another part of us that's always pulling us in a different direction? And all of us are, as humans are kind of divided beings. There's like the best part of us, that core part of us that wants something really good and purposeful. And then there's another part of us that just wants a third piece of pie, right? Like all human beings are made up of that kind of tension, different desires. So how do we choose the highest desires? How do we choose that deepest good that we know we want somewhere? At Hebrews chapter 4. It says about Jesus, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way we are except sin. I, I really love that statement. Hebrews says it's important to understand about Jesus. He knows what it feels like to, to experience that internal battle between desires. He's sympathetic to it. He gets it. This is good news for us, right? Like we have someone in the presence of God who knows what it is to feel conflicted and is fighting for us in it. So, so what can we learn from his kind of battle about how to resist? Let's get really practical briefly. What, whatever your temptation is, whether it looks like Jesus's or not, how do you resist? Um, number one, I think we learn from Jesus very explicitly, you have to pray proactively. Let's just begin with the assumption, if something makes Jesus sweat blood to resist it, none of us are immune to it, right? 
Like he's genuinely a better person than all of us. If it makes him sweat blood, assume we are vulnerable. We too are people in conflict where God's spirit is pulling one way and all sorts of things in our minds and our bodies are pulling another. If you haven't felt that tension in a while, like if there's not something in you, if if this conversation does not feel relevant, let's say that, um, chances are pretty high that's because you're giving in to temptation without knowing it. Right? Like the only time we tend to be unaware of this kind of struggle is when we're letting it kind of riptide us along, particularly temptation number one. That temptation to get caught up in the kind of ordinary stuff of daily life and just forget entirely about God or what participating with God means. Right? You don't feel tempted when you're kind of getting pulled outward by the tide. This is why this had never really struck me until this year when I, I've been studying the Gospel of Luke again, and it just really began to strike me. Every time Jesus teaches about prayer, one of the most common things Jesus tells people to pray for is to pray for the ability to resist temptation. Um, Luke 11, verse 4, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who's wronged us, and don't lead us into temptation. In Luke 22, at the last night of Jesus' life, he goes to the Mount of Olives with his disciples, and when they arrive, Jesus doesn't say, pray in general, guys. He tells them, pray that you won't give in to temptation. I mean, why do we pray proactively against temptation? Well, Jesus basically says, all of us could break if we were given enough pressure at the wrong time. Right? There's no person who is so strong that they are immune to breaking under the right pressure at the right time. So Jesus says, you need to pray that God intervenes so you are never in that position that will break you. Right? You have a breaking point. Pray that God intervenes so you never get there. And the other reason you pray, especially in a moment like this where Jesus is talking to his disciples in the garden, is prayer heightens your awareness that you are in a battle to begin with that there are forces that are trying to pull you off course. Jesus says you got to pray proactively because if you do it after the fact, usually it's too late. Pray against temptation on the front end. Um, Second thing we can learn from Jesus, (laughs) avoid putting yourself in vulnerable positions. You know, anybody who's ever been on a diet knows you don't keep food in the house you don't plan to eat. If there's, one, if there's one thing the disciples learn at the end of Jesus' life, you don't carry a sword to a party if you don't plan on swinging it. Right? There's something in the back of our, our minds as people that just we constantly want to walk as close to the line as we possibly can without going over it. Right? And the problem with living your, li- your life always on the edge of that line is it only takes a light breeze to tip you over the side. Jesus has this famous teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where he says to people, if your right hand causes you to fall into sin, chop it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose a part of your body than that your whole body go to hell. This sounds like such an extreme teaching. Like, does Jesus really want people to cut off body parts? No, this is a metaphor. But what is Jesus saying with this metaphor? If something in your life, even if it's not bad, is constantly taking you to the edge of breaking is constantly pulling you to the edge of that line where you're on the verge of, of falling over it, 
proactively move yourself away from that line, right? Like cut the thing out, even if it's not a bad thing, it may be bad for you, right? You may be vulnerable in particular ways that you need to address proactively. Um, There might be nothing inherently wrong in taking that drink or having that friendship or watching that TV show or making that purchase. There might be nothing wrong with any of those decisions for the person next to you, but there might be a problem in it for you because you are vulnerable in a particular way that makes it dangerous. So Jesus says essentially know yourself. Don't kind of straddle the edge of that line and just hope vaguely that nothing will push you over it. And the other thing I I think that is important to remember, remember that thoughts are precursors to action. It's really dangerous to entertain things in your thoughts that you would never entertain in your life because what tends to happen, you know, if, if you like start fantasizing about swinging your sword at a person, if Peter's sitting around at the Last Supper being like, man, I'd like to take a hack at that high priest. Like, he might not be actually intending to do it, but you get in the moment where the pressure is on and that thing you've been playing out in your head suddenly feels incredibly viable for real, right? Don't entertain things in your head you wouldn't entertain in your life because what you've turned in your thoughts enough tends to come out under pressure, Don't don't put yourself in vulnerable positions. Um, Third tip from Jesus, talk back to the lies that temptation feeds on. Uh, Temptation is any desire that opposes the desires of God, but the thing we forget that the desires of God are always for good and for true joy. God's intent for us is always good. It's it's always the best, which means that any time temptation tells us otherwise, it is lying somewhere. It's going to tell us things like, this affair will make life better. It's going to tell us things like, when you are in charge, when you get the power, you will do better than the last guy. It'll tell us, all you need is to make a little more money, and then you'll feel safe. It'll tell us one bite of that apple isn't a big deal. You deserve it. Right? The, the way that temptation works is by lying. And the only way to defeat a lie is to call it out. And this is where knowing, knowing Scripture is really, really helpful to us because what Scripture gives us, what Scripture gave Jesus, is a kind of solid basis of truth to identify lies and to push back on those kind of convenient whispers in the back of our heads. I mean, when you're tempted, the best question you can ask yourself is what lie is feeding this temptation? What lie is underlying this? And what word is God speaking back to it? Right? When you feel tempted, look for the lie. What is the lie and what word is God speaking? And one final tip from Jesus. This one I think is the most important. Be in love with a big purpose. Be in love with a big purpose. I have found in my own life that the most helpful thing in resisting temptation is actually remembering what is at stake. Remembering what's at stake. Evil has a stake in throwing you off course. Evil has a stake in throwing you off course, and the kingdom of God has things to lose when we lose track of our purpose. 
There is something actually at stake in us staying on track and choosing the best things. There's always something to lose. And I think remembering that helps me put myself in the mindset of a battle, thinking, you know, I am in the midst of the story, the struggle of good and evil against each other, and my resistance is important. There's something at stake in that. This is a larger story that is unfolding. But resisting temptation, and this is part of, I think, identifying the lie, resisting temptation is not about denying yourself pleasure or denying yourself good things. Resisting temptation is about resisting toxins that will keep the good things from growing. Sometimes the best way to resist is to remind ourselves of what is the big yes that this no is enabling. Like the only reason we say no to anything is to enable a bigger yes. So what's the big yes? What's the big purpose? What's the big good? Resisting temptation more than anything, I think, is about keeping our eyes on the prize. And this is what the author of Hebrews says in in his description of Jesus. It's one of my favorite verses about the life of Jesus and how he did what he did in Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews says, Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring the shame for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him. How did Jesus resist temptation at the end of the day? Not just by gritting his teeth and gutting through it. Jesus resisted by remembering the big yes, the joy, the good that he was fighting for. Be in love with a big purpose. And that's the thing that strengthens us to resist the things that pull against that huge, good, joy-giving work that God's doing. As we close, let's just kind of gather in our own mind whatever temptation is before us and bring that in the presence of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this word from the author of Hebrews that you are the best high priest we could wish for because you really get it. You have been in the position where it feels like everything in you is screaming against the thing that God is calling for. You've known what it is to be hungry, to be afraid, to want to grasp and hold when God is saying, keep your grip loose. Jesus, intercede for us. Give us the strength, the wisdom, the courage we need to say big yeses and the no's where we must. Fill us with a passion for a huge, great purpose, for a huge, great joy before us. And give us the insight to say no to the things that steal, kill, and destroy that joy. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.